0: The shortcode Podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcode Podcast.
1: Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews.
2: By students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at com.
0: Welcome back to the Shortcoat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. Here's some of what we got for you on today's show.
2: I am a non-traditional med student. I have a child and a husband. I had tried in the fall not to work, but it's catching up with us, so I decided to go back to work.
0: Last week in President Biden's State of the Union address, he announced a big shift in focus on mental health needs. I pulled out the ones that have a more direct application to you guys. I want to thank our friends at Panacea Financial, the sponsor of this episode, who want to tell you about their 2022 Match Week giveaway, so stay tuned for that a bit later in the show. In the meantime, I'm here in the SCP studio today with some leading lights in medical education, including the always delightful Abby Fife. Hi. We've got the brilliant Nick Lind sitting next to her. Hi, Dave. Over there, we've got the beguiling Nathan Spitz. Howdy, partners. And the always blithesome Grant Stalker is here as well. Let's see. Grant is an M1. Got it. Nathan is an M3. Mm -hmm. And then we've got uh, the two... M4s, Nick and Abby. Almost done.
3: Almost. Two
4: more days to what? Black Monday? Uh, is that the? Is that yeah. what they're calling <laughs> it? <in? laughs> that that's probably appropriate. Yeah.
1: yeah. Two more days
3: till I can sleep again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. So even then, though, because you don't know where you're going. See it. Mm. Stop oh, it. Okay, I thought you were. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it.
3: Uh, I know I'm going somewhere.
4: <laughs> yeah, you'll know if you're going somewhere. <laughs> And for the listeners, Black Monday, this is in reference to the Monday of yeah. Match Week in which M4s across the country find out if they have matched into a residency program or not. Exactly, yes. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. You guys, I'm sitting here today without a mask. And, you know, Instagram controversies aside, we have been wearing masks since, God, I don't know how long now. But I'm sitting here without a mask because the CDC says that our county is now low risk i guess or low which i'm very excited about however i notice that you guys are all wearing masks and when we talked about it prior to the show some of you evinced some what's the word i'm looking for some some reluctance or at least some ambivalence about changing your masking ways what are we what are we thinking about well
3: i think that some of my masking is just feels better. now. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not even afraid of getting COVID, but I'm afraid of getting back into like pandemic isolation more so. Um, So
0: you're, you're sort of thinking, I don't know, like longer term than just getting COVID. You're thinking like, well, if everybody stopped wearing masks, maybe we would have another uh, surge. Yeah, Yeah.
3: exactly. Exactly. And then also there's just like, anxiety that she's not even reasonable that I'm like I (laughs) feel safer wearing a mask and I don't know about you Nick if you we were both in the hospital like some of the height of the pandemic and I had some real like sketchy terrible experiences as a result where I'm like yeah with dying people whose parents or her whose families aren't allowed to visit and like talking to yeah so I
0: there's a little trauma there. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. And so I think I'm like, if wearing a mask makes me feel safer, yeah, I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> you know, a good plug uh, for all of us. I'll plug another podcast. Uh, the White Coat Investor just had a nurse on who talked about her story of she was an ICU nurse now in CRNA school, but kind of told her story of, you know, PTSD from everything that she saw in the ICU and, and just trying to get more awareness around healthcare workers who are struggling right now with some of the things that they saw mm-hmm. and, and experienced and and that you know their anxieties are real and and you know there's there's probably some good reason to be a little anxious based on, sure. on what everyone experienced sure. and i i think as a medical student we experienced some mm-hmm. terrible things but it wasn't anywhere near oh, yeah. the uh, level of you know the residents the attending physicians the nurses mm-hmm. and and the other staff so
4: yeah, it's very real. I definitely was. Then sorry for any like trigger warnings for or, you know for people who are studying for step one or step two, but like the <laughs> observer bias
3: oh, yeah. right
4: now, where knowing that we're now like recorded and like how yeah. this like perception is to like other people, I think definitely influenced well the decision to like wear a mask or not right and if people like aren't aware with of the observer bias it's the idea that when you know that you are being observed that participants in research studies will change their behaviors right and had i think my line of thinking on wearing a mask or not may have been different had we known that we weren't being Mm -hmm. recorded in that Mm -hmm. like other people well and for a while
0: that message was was definitely reinforced by you know leadership of the hospital which makes a lot of sense you know we wanted to we, we have wanted to demonstrate to the public our commitment to, you know, to masking up and each other. And 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 then I guess national and state politics intervened. And we hmm. and we were the, the decision was made to sort of say that you can't require people to to wear masks, at least not in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And and there was a lot of fights about that. And then now all of a sudden the CDC has decided that we're low risk. And t- so now there's a whole new set of calculations going on what i'm noticing around me here at the carver college of medicine is pretty much i'm the only one who's who today this is this is like day <laughs> one of me not wearing a mask at work
4: they didn't have any at the stands as yeah. i was like entering to come into murph like at least the entrance like over by yeah
0: what's it
1: called? yeah i didn't see one either so it's
0: really it's a really weird are we done are we done yeah. offering yeah. it's a really weird moment
5: so it's it's like Abby was saying it's less the COVID and more I just like not being sick and Mm -hmm. wearing a mask has and everybody else wearing a mask has allowed me to not be sick so yeah if it works I'm gonna keep doing it
0: all right I fully support your whatever you choose of course even even that I don't know if that's a valid thing to say anymore because after all we're Trying to protect each other and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but everybody close your eyes. I'm going to count to three. Oh, and I you don't do like this. And, and you do you. Ready? One, two, so three. What does you Wait, do you mean? You,
3: I don't understand what we're doing. If I
0: open my, if we all open our eyes, we'll see who took their masks off and who didn't. Ready? One, two, three. Oh no! Everybody's got oh, their masks eyes. on every day
4: it is there's a lot of, I I think often of my like cognitive dissonance and like the risk that I'm like willing to take in like certain like settings and okay. I feel like my like mask wearing and adherence definitely like when I choose to wear it or you know when I feel like I'm with friends or Mm -hmm. like other things like that I feel like my which is like kind of backwards right so I want to I want to protect everybody but you'd think I'd have even like stronger like instincts to try and protect my friends but as soon as I'm in like a group of six or seven people that I like associate with like regularly it's whoop yeah whip the mask off (laughs) even though we're in like a confined like (laughs) close
0: setting and we're in like a confined like close setting here but I think the message once again is we're all doing the best we can and we're, we're, we're acting on, we're, we're now acting on a mixture of information and, <laughs> and hogwash. And I guess that's what we're doing right now. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Hey, I got to move on from this because if you thought that was all that was in the room, well, you'd be wrong. Shortcoats, uh, because we're also joined by a listener today, Eliza. Welcome to the show, Eliza.
2: Thank you so much. Hi, everybody.
0: Uh, hi. Where are you from, Eliza?
2: So right now, I am from Evanston, Illinois, which is just north of Chicago, although I am a transplant from the East Coast.
0: Ah, East Coast. Where in the East Coast?
2: From outside of Philadelphia. A shout out to Downingtown, Pennsylvania, my hometown.
0: Well, there you go. And I understand you're a first year med student, but how have you found your first year? Be honest. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I found the fall of my first year to be very difficult. Um, Yes, I am an M1 at Chicago Medical School at Rosalind Franklin University. And the transition from working full-time to going to med school full-time was a rough one, I think for me a little bit. I also was not originally a science major. So that first, the first few blocks were like very heavy in biochemistry and things like that so it was it was harsh there's like a big adjustment to getting used to being wrong all the time you know i never was wrong so much in my life until the fall of this year that being said i had to i've kind of got my feet under me and then since the holidays and we moved into doing systems blocks in uh that's going better and now i feel a little bit more like a human and that i've made good life choices again (laughs) i
5: can relate Yeah, it's it's all gonna work out (laughs) okay i'm right there with you the amount of i vaguely heard of this word before when you first start to now in like our second semester where you're a little bit more confident not a lot more confident but a little bit more it's a nice feeling
2: yeah and i think i've just like accepted that i'm wrong a good 30 of the time it's
0: it's really best yeah to cultivate that yeah that idea yeah. well we're happy to have you here you you reached out to us at the shortcuts of gmail there because you wanted to talk about you wanted us to talk about something in particular today what was your suggestion for us
2: yeah well so i have very recently started going back to work a little bit mm. because of some financial strain i am a non-traditional med student i have a child and a husband and when i went from working to getting financial aid it was about a half of my salary decrease in terms of what you know I'm bringing into the family so I had tried in the fall not to work but it's catching up with us so I've decided to go back to work and I was just really curious to hear about different people's perspectives what other students maybe have done if people I know it's uncommon to work but I'm kind of doing
0: it (laughs) so So what what are you doing?
2: yeah so I before I went to to med school. I was a therapeutic yoga teacher. I taught actually in a psychiatric treatment center, which is what inspired me to want to go to med school. And so I work with folks who, for a variety of reasons, don't really fit into your sort of typical public yoga class. Some of them, most of them are dealing with trauma response and things in the body that that do better work individually with me. So I work individually and I teach one public class a week um doing therapeutic yoga
0: cool yeah thank you I feel like there's some questions that I want to sort of touch on before we uh before we start talking about it on your worst work day do you find your work mentally taxing or draining
2: it depends on the session (laughs) and on my worst day yeah some of the stuff people bring into their sessions with me is kind of heavy and so sitting with some of that can be rough and right now i will say i don't have anybody who has like a personality disorder but when i do work with those folks they can pull you through the ringer a little bit mm-hmm. i have to be mm-hmm. sort of aware of my own responses so sometimes it's tiring yeah. i also see people like at seven in the morning so then having to go to med school after that all day is is tiring sure
4: can I? I also just want to like commend you for the work that you do. I literally on my way here was uh, work. I so saw I'm on the inpatient psychiatric unit right now. I was working with somebody who's doing somatic yoga, and we like just talked about mm-hmm. the body keeps a score, which is like yep. a popular like medical pop psychology book for the lay listener and if you're interested in this type of work i would 11 out of 10 recommend the book it's from a harvard trained psychiatrist who kind of details the history of like trauma and the history of ptsd and how first kind of like the medical history then going into how trauma can like physiologically affect a person and the last like third of the book is like alternatives to medication and how we can help people with trauma Mm -hmm. and so i think the work that you do just i just want to say that's awesome and the work that you do drastically does help patients so yeah thank you that
2: is the book that inspired me to go to medical school because it really solidified a lot of the feedback and ideas that I was getting in the moment with patients, but I didn't have much of a science background and that kind of opened a whole world for me. Yeah,
0: It's early in med school for you at this time, but do you have any thoughts as to future specialty?
2: So I would like to be a psychiatrist. Okay. That is the plan. That is why I went. I have a very open mind. I am very interested in things like chronic pain and the way these physical experiences kind of interact with are what we might consider a mental disorder mm-hmm. so we'll see how it goes but psychiatry is is the plan one,
1: one little plug there's actually a pain specialist here at the university of iowa who uh, went through psychiatry training and then went into chronic pain did a chronic pain fellowship so um, Dr. Walia. Walia. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you've never yeah, had awesome. chronic pain or even, I don't know, semi chronic pain, probably Abby, you can talk a little bit about this, but I just remember the times in my life when I was in pain and the, the amount of the toll that it takes on you mentally, even small amounts of Chronic constant pain is exhausting after a long time. Yeah. So that's really it's 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 interesting work. Yeah. I said Abby can talk about this, and then I talked about it a lot.
4: <laughs>
0: anyway, <laughs> shut up, Abby. <laughs>
4: another another, another pl- and team psychiatry all the way. Also, what I came to medical school for, but the physical medicine and rehabilitation. I don't know if you've had any exposure um, to that. Yeah, special. we had
2: a we had a lecture. It was good. It was interesting.
4: Yeah. And that's something like Mm -hmm. I feel like in the preclinical, you know, you get like a couple lectures on like osteoarthritis. And that was like about it. And it's often not a required clerkship for other students. So that could be something, you know, of interest as well. Well,
0: well, so let's let's talk about working in medical school. I don't think anybody here has. You have. I kind of. Yeah, I do. Oh, well, let's. Let's hear about that,
4: (laughs) boys. You know, Nick, you might have more, like, shared life experience Sure, to medical school. I also
1: have a good friend who works a lot, like a fair bit,
4: so I can maybe talk
1: a little bit about his experience i don't know at all but so wh- i i'm not doing a ton but i i did come from a professional career before med school have a family so similar life i guess life frame life space you know i can understand some of the struggles like financially thankfully my wife has a, a pretty good professional job which helps and we're in a low cost of living city unlike chicago yeah i was gonna say <laughs> Chicago's is not
0: an easy yeah, not necessarily yeah. it's an a easy.
2: big problem yeah. you mentioned white coat investor earlier and he's always talking about like geographic arbitrage that concept that you like live somewhere that's really cheap and every time he talks about that i like i feel really i don't know like i failed (laughs) because i live in such a high cost of living area and there's nothing i can do about it yeah
1: yeah you know at the same time though you can think about that more when you get to residency and that might help some i know like this is a, a period of you know of your life that will you know soon be over sooner than you think will be over and and then you'll be moving on to the next phase but i so i do an anesthesia externship which isn't a lot it's 30 hours a month i thought i was going to do anesthesia and that externship actually helped me to decide not to do anesthesia i still really like it i think it's a cool specialty but in the end i decided to do emergency med but i i work kind of like as an anesthesia tech in the or for 30 hours a month and then on the side i kind of do med student things so i i get to you know help intubate helping you know with ivs and and lines and things like that so it's a it's a good experience it's not a lot of hours it doesn't pay all that well but it's a little bit of extra money in my family's pocket that we weren't expecting so it's been a, a good experience i think i have another friend that i mentioned that also has a job he works it was his part of his career from Prior to med school, he, it's in the construction industry and it's been very flexible for him. So he's he's kind of been able to pick and choose when he wants to work at, at different times. And right now, because of he's a fourth year and and he's completed all of his coursework that's required, he's able to just work pretty much full time right now.
0: But was that the case for either of you during your first year? First year? No, I didn't. Uh, he worked first year. Yeah. Okay, He
1: right. worked some here and there. I don't know how often. Sure definitely over the summer sure um after first year
0: and nathan you said you you did some something too
4: yeah so i have been tutoring and also not in the first year until the summer here at carver there's the summer research fellowship where i think you get paid five or six thousand dollars for the whole summer to do research and also worked almost like nonstop. i think the largest like gap in my employment since high school is like one month so i've been like a not chronic worker, but somebody who's like always had employment. It was difficult. I didn't have any in the first semester of medical school, I guess first, most of the first year and then started tutoring. And I don't remember exactly like the question that Dave had posed um, to the group. But when I think of employment in medical school, I think something as far as tutoring, I don't know if that's like an option for you as you move forward um, in your career. But I found it very benefit one, in the income, you know, the additional income that it can bring. I found it super helpful when you're like reviewing material, and I'm not sure with Chicago's or uh, Rosalind Franklin's curriculum. But for us, it was nice to kind of like spiral back a year later and in the process of tutoring, you know, you're reviewing the material. And I think I learned it like even better the second time around. There's that deeper understanding that you have to create to be able to teach and lead other students. So I found one, it was nice to get to review and to get to you know be paid at the same time. And also I think increased my interest in like academic medicine. I don't know if that's of interest to you as well, but I had never tutored before. And having that positive experience, I think also opened my eyes to like my enjoyment of tutoring and the like teaching process and helped kind of like shift my path that way. I think I was working maybe like 10 hours a week doing both a group and individual tutoring in that regard. So overall, I'd say it was like a positive experience and I don't know if they have opportunities for you as a second year medical student. It sounds like you really enjoy the work that you're doing now and it seems really impactful and in your career trajectory. Um, I haven't gone through the residency application process, but I can imagine that's something that, that could be looked upon favorably by schools if you were looking at like an academic program again to demonstrate that interest. And in, hey, like I love and enjoy Now you don't have to love it, but I enjoy teaching and. You know have all of this experience and even if you know rosalind franklin doesn't offer that you know p- programming or that opportunity for you to do paid tutoring there are also like online services You just do
0: it anyway yeah
4: online yeah. services that you feel like if you have the time and you can chart you know if you're doing like a I'm thinking of this and then like next year of doing like more private-based tutoring where you can get to be more in control of the the money that you make and what you charge. Not to be like exploitative, but there are people who charge, you know, larger fees for the hour and you can charge for prep work and things like that. Um,
2: Yeah. And I do think that's a really key factor because time is so valuable in med school. Mm -hmm. Like I noticed I was offered a public class to teach and I declined it because the amount of money that I'd make for the hour was only about half of what I make when I work with an individual. So there is definitely like a lot more picking and choosing I do now about is it, you know, how much, like what percentage off the quiz will I lose if I don't study for this hour? So how many (laughs) dollars is that worth? Like it's kind of how some of the negotiation.
0: The (laughs) classic med student calculation. Which of these two activities is higher yield? (laughs)
3: Right. Yeah,
0: I know a lot of people also will review uh,
1: like books and things like the she's why am I blanking on the name everybody poops yeah yeah no so some students will like do review textbooks like first aid or or some of the other books out there a lot of times once you're like m3 m4 you actually start getting emails from these groups asking if you want a job to review some of their material so Abby's yeah. looking at me like, what the hell are you talking yeah.
3: about? Nobody's paid me to review. I've never been
1: paid. I just get the emails. I don't I've know.
3: never gotten an email.
1: I don't know. I don't know how that... I got on it's a like list a- somehow. Abby didn't,
0: Abby didn't survive the uh, weeding out process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're not on the wrong email list. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. You know, if you were to ask a school, you know, anybody from a school, should I work during med school? They're all going to say no. They're all going to say no. (laughs) No. And, you know, even some some other people that that we've talked about on the show or talked with on the show, I did a quick search this week about this topic. And, you know, Ryan Gray, our friend over at MedEd Media Network, you know, his site doesn't recommend it either. His site recommends, you know, Go whole hog on, you know, this dream that you have and don't set aside any other time for other, I wouldn't say for outside activities, but, but, you know, work shouldn't be one of the outside activities if you can, you know, if, and I imagine that the caveat there is if you can swing that and, you know, I get that. I understand that, you know, you don't want to recommend work to, you know, outside work to med students because you want them to focus on Med school, hmm. in order to be successful, and there are things that you you know need to consider. I think about whether or not you want to work. For instance, you know if you know what specialty you want to go in at the time that you want to work, is that specialty super competitive or less so? Because if it's super competitive and you've sacrificed some of your time and and energy and studying for for work, then that could translate to you know lower grades or lower performance that it it might you know it might affect your career prospects you know if if you you, wanted to go into dermatology but you know you spent a lot of time working fair or not that's a that's a sacrifice that that you made right there yeah So I think to add to that, even like within
1: a specific specialty. So let's say, you know, psychiatry is not really competitive. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. But if you want to go to some of the most competitive programs in psychiatry or like you have a specific program that you absolutely need to match at, you may need to be performing at a different level than than others. Like if that's where you really need to be. So,
0: you know, and some of these some of these specialties that, you know, we sort of think of as less competitive are actually becoming more competitive. Psychiatry is number reason, seven. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. yeah I mean, for, psychiatry is always the classic one of, Oh, it's not extremely competitive, but it's something it's about psychiatry there. is changing. And so it might be competitive, might be much more competitive by the time um, you graduate. Eliza. So- yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think you guys are kind of talking about something that's really why I asked the question and wanted to talk about this issue is the concept of med schools are i think very authentically working to be more equitable i'm in many ways i have a lot of privilege in other ways i'm a non-traditional med student i'm a parent my school has done a wonderful job of accommodating me when like I have to switch my lab time so I can be a pickup for my kid and things like that. And I think that this financial piece is a really important component to that because like we're saying that kids who, I say kids because I feel like I'm older than the med students. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. But if we have people who want to do dermatology, but they can't afford to be the ones Like they have to work so then they don't get as good of grades and then they don't get into dermatology. We're starting to create this sort of system where we're self-selecting those students who have the advantage getting into these higher specialties when the residency programs are saying like, no, we want to open it up. We want diversity in our pool. You know, it's a big question. And I know some schools are working on making things a lot more financially accessible. We but want
0: diversity. As long as you got a two sixty five, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> Can I it, ask a question? Yeah. Do you guys, either of you, do you get like financial aid for your dependents? Is that a thing? No.
1: I so I get uh, additional grant money from the university, okay. probably because I have dependents. <laughs> <Okay>. Probably <laughs> because it's because it's based off of your FAFSA, uh. and and so like I have three kids. Uh, so I get to claim three kids on my FAFSA. Well, there you go, Elijah. Uh, you just got to have and, more
2: children. <laughs> I got to have more kids. I probably have yeah, yeah. more money, way. Really. So,
1: so then the university gives me grant money, okay. the full amount of need-based grant money for them. but okay. uh, other, You can ask. So you can actually talk to your financial aid office, and they can expand the amount of loans that you get. I've never had to do that personally. But I have some friends who have. I don't. So I don't know a lot about how that works. I've been able to just kind of go within the normal allotted but you can ask for more that's difficult though too because you know let's say psychiatry psychiatry pays great but it's not as good as other specialties and so you you want to be at a reasonable spot with your uh, debt to income ratio to be able to pay that debt off like you don't want to just rack up you know half a million plus in debt and and then try to dig out of that you know the rest of your career so eliza i get where you're where you're coming from it would be a very difficult
2: decision and i think a lot of the decision making goes into okay well if this is how much i'm taking out how many hours could i work and then we would be able to reduce because there's a sense of every dollar i spend is two dollars i have to pay back yeah uh in the long run if i'm being you know that would be like the maximum worst-case scenario kind of situation. Not so that really scenario. factors into
1: <laughs> it. It's a pretty well, bad because where interest rates yeah. are going to go, you <laughs> know. So yeah, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. So I feel like every dollar I earn is two dollars I don't have to pay back. Yeah. Or something, so that there's the, and there is a satisfaction to that to know that I'm taking care of my family and that feels good. While I while my family has made a lot of sacrifices for me to go to med school at this point, so. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Something, and just for like other listeners, I don't know if this would fit into your situation or not. I'm talking kind of like, for example, in dermatology and needing certain metrics and things like that as paid research positions mm-hmm. as well, though they're like harder to come by and may not pay as well as like individual a group like based practice like you have can could be an option for students if you also are considering working during medical school like one of the residents I know in psychiatry he worked in his lab and his lab like paid for you know him to continue to work while he was in medical school and that you know gave him valuable skills it was a source of income for him and his wife and he was able to like get a couple of like publications or be on a couple of like publications as well so I'd, I'd
0: i mean I, the theme i'm hearing here is if you can kill two birds with one stone yeah. that's that's a better equation than yeah. you oh, know yeah. i'm going to go work at you know something that's completely unrelated I'm, i mean nothing's unrelated you can you can make a case no matter what but
3: i do think though that the this therapeutic yoga is definitely killing two birds with one yeah. stone. Mm-hmm. like that's gonna look awesome yeah, yeah, on, yeah. it's a
0: differentiator for
2: um, sure and it is very satisfying work <laughs> i and mean i
0: am and even if ultimately you only end up doing it for part of your time here it's still <laughs> it's still pretty cool
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: it's gonna be a great thing to talk about
1: on your on your residency interview, oh, yeah for sure
2: yeah yeah and it is nice, like, when you're an M1 and your, like, nose is in your studies and it's all theoretical and there's so many little nitty-gritty biochemistry details to get to take a break and get mm-hmm. to go be with a person. Mm-hmm. And that is really nice. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Some of the time it's a relief from
3: does this even apply to real people? Yeah. Ever? Oh, I felt that so much M1 years. I was like, what <laughs> am I doing? It gets better. Uh, but yeah, now I definitely am like, oh, that's why I learned that. But I felt that as an M1. So.
5: Yeah, Eliza, do you feel like you're trying to overextend yourself at all with work i know like as a fellow m1 there's the pressure to do research to volunteer and do everything like that how do you feel like you're balancing everything
2: else with your work yeah that's a good question and i'm kind of um experimenting a little bit like i'm up to about five six hours a week of working and just last week i felt really tired it was like because it it we're doing cardiology right now and cardio physiology, all the physics and things like that. And so my brain really felt full hmm. um, trying to learn some of that stuff that was like really tricky for me, and then work at the same time. So I'm I'm okay, but I do think that there's a limit, and I know that there's certain things I can't do. Also because I'm a parent, and I will say that that parenting. Somebody was saying like the other friend you have like works construction and then goes to med school on the side. Sometimes I feel like I'm a parent, like I parent and I med school is like my hobby that I do (laughs) during the day while he's at school. So, (laughs) you know, so I have to say that that is actually the biggest like time as well. It should be, I mean, that's a good thing, but that's my priority. So that I think also tempers like how much, I don't think I can work much more than I am now. Mm -hmm. Like five hours last week was like, that's good. And I actually am encouraged to hear that they even though dr gray says don't work people clearly do i'm not yeah. alone in that and that is satisfying because it sometimes i i felt a little lonely am i the only one who has to do this and yeah. clearly i'm not so i feel like this I is
0: one of those I Feel like this is one of those things that we don't talk about <laughs> yeah
2: we don't talk about those working <laughs> those myths.
0: people work is that mm-hmm. is that wise is that moral I feel it's not
4: akin to the like salary questions in the workplace of yep. do you yeah. need to work? Do you is this something you're choosing to do because you enjoy? There's right. some like sensitivity associated mm-hmm. with that, and so thanks for leading the the charge and like being like open and
0: vulnerable. Well, and honest about Eliza, that. I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody that you were.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will ever Nobody know. Will no, know. but I do think like I, we had this great speaker. She came to our school to talk about like the pay gap and inequality. And one of the big things that she's a proponent of is transparency is a way to close income gap and make things more accessible. So I think that the talking about that, Hey, it's hard to make it financially, when you're a non-traditional med student Mm -hmm. i think is really something that people should know yeah because it evens out the playing field
0: yeah i I, I think that's one of the themes of our show oftentimes is you know there are more paths yeah than just the one that is you know sort of laid out for you
1: and it sure is wild to cut your family income in half
2: yeah yeah (laughs) because that's literally
1: what happened in my my household maybe a little bit more than half quite an
2: experience yeah 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 Yeah, it hurts it hurts a little bit
0: for sure well, Eliza. Thanks you
2: guys so much. I, this was awesome.
0: Good luck yeah. to you. Keep us keep us posted. Let us know if you uh, change your mind about working at some point in the future, and and love to hear more about your your journey as you continue.
2: Awesome. Thanks you guys. Good luck yeah. with match. You're gonna do great. Thank, Thank you. you. All the best. Steve. Hi everybody. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to theshortcoats at gmail.com or leave a message at 347 Short C T. We'll talk about it on the show. Uh, speaking of money, a special thank you to Michelle E of Asbury, Iowa. She donated 50 bucks, Whoa. a record donation to the Shortcode Podcast Ooh, wow. to help us with our mission to bring the world of medical school to everyone's ear holes and eyeballs. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. Um, That's awesome. awesome. I did send a token of my thanks, a new shortcoat podcast pin in the mail to her. Shortcoats you can donate to if you have the capacity, or if you don't want to do that, there are other ways that you can uh, help and maybe get a little pin of your own. Visit the shortcoat.com slash pin where I've put some of those ways for you to think about. If you can see your way clear to doing one of those things or even something else that helps spread the word about our little show here, I'll send you one of our pins too as a token of my appreciation. Thank you. Speaking of money, our podcast this week is brought to you by Panacea Financial. As a bank founded by 2 MedPeds physicians, Panacea Financial, they aren't just about a new market for their services. They're dedicated to helping doctors and trainees. Panacea offers loans, checking accounts, and concierge banking to medical students. Right now, they are also running a giveaway to students matching in 2022. That's this year, in case you... (laughs) Needed a reminder. who didn't know. You. Five students will be chosen to receive $500 awards. Entry is free. Check out their giveaway today at com slash match 2022. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Speaking of money.
3: Oh my gosh. Last
0: <laughs> week... In money, President money. Last week in President Joe Biden's State of the Union address, he announced the administration's intention to create a big shift in focus on mental health needs. A mm. focus that this topic hasn't had, apparently, since the Carter administration, according to uh, various things that I've read. The fact sheet on the White House website lays out a strategy to address what they're calling a national mental health crisis. And it's a pretty long list, but I pulled out some of the ones that have been more direct application to you guys and your lives and let's just let's just toss those around a little bit let's hear it all right, all right. Whip, whip them out all right 700 million dollars in programs that provide training access to scholarships and loan repayment to mental health and substance use disorder clinicians committed to practicing in rural and other underserved communities. So that's kind of cool. A big part of this, I gather, was sort of directed at the opioid epidemic. So uh, yeah, seems seems like a a good place to put your money. Regardless yeah. of like your stance on politics,
4: Iowa actually has like started the process before before the federal government, I guess, mm-hmm. in regards to like training at least for mental mm-hmm. health. Like the Iowa res- psychiatry residency program is planning on expanding the number of seats as well as forming specific rural psychiatry tracks to try and recruit and retain people to continue to practice in in rural areas, which I think is.
0: I mean, we're we're
4: one so of the more
3: rural, rural, rural yeah. states, all yeah.
4: right. Awesome. It's wild too. I think. Oh, I don't remember what to say. It was like Montana or something like that, where they're like psychiatry. There's one per hundred mile oh, wow. radius right. and things like that, which is. And I mean, we're seeing the something similar, like in our state as well, where we have like hotspot mm-hmm. cities. There'll be, you know, there's oh my, there's nine. I don't remember the exact statistic, but up to ninety like mental health, you know. Or, providers in the Iowa City Coralville area. Yeah. And there's exactly my hometown is there zero. Yeah. yeah. And like the next closest one is 40 miles away with
0: mm-hmm. And you know, it's easy for for people living in areas like ours to forget that much of the US is actually pretty rural. You know, there are large portions of the country that are just underserved because of their, you know, combination of their population and and uh, you know, just people may or may not want to providers specifically may or may not want to live in those areas. So this is this is nice. This is good. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of what I'm going to say here isn't something that you know Joe Biden can't just wave his magic wand and make happen. So there's lot lot to yeah. go on here. But here's the next one: 225 million in training programs to increase the number of community health workers and other health support workers providing services, including behavioral health support in underserved communities. So even more money towards towards mental health signing the bipartisan Dr. Lorna Breen Health Care Provider Protection Act into law <clears throat> which will invest 135 million over three years into training health care providers on suicide prevention and behavioral health while launching an awareness campaign to address stigmatization promote help seeking and self-care among this workforce
4: Oh, I don't know. I think it's I feel I get that like weird mix in my tummy when I hear that for healthcare providers. I think a lot of times like the issue is not like awareness. For example, you know what I'm saying? Almost all like practicing providers know that like we are in like a higher risk group of like yeah. suicide and things like mm-hmm. that. And at least in my experience, like from what I've seen from like higher education institutions, it's more like training. Here's a like hour long module on like suicide prevention that we're going to require you to complete as opposed to like the, the more like addressing some of like the systemic
3: yeah, like mm-hmm.
4: issues that are like actively impacting these providers. And I know there's not enough money in the world to do this, but what if we like could give people more like rest? with that money so that they could use that time to like better like impact their i don't know anyway that's just i hear Uh, things like that and i feel kind of like that's great and
3: yeah i think it's just such a cultural issue too more so than a lack of awareness and i just i think that one of the things that needs to happen is we just need to like Get rid of this, like, macho-ness that we all have in healthcare and just, like, talk about it to each other and make it less of a stigmatization to, like, go, hey, yeah, go go see your therapist, go see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, just, like, I I have been in a lot of... Okay, from talking to other students, I think I have been in more, like, death situations than your average med student, partly just, like, from my... NICU interests. And I can think of a single time in this past year where I think I've probably lost close to 10 patients. So I think one out of 10, we're at 10% of the time where someone, where we've like, someone checked in on me how I was doing after that loss. And. In that time, so it was a fellow who checked in on me and the resident who wanted to make sure we were okay. And I actually wanted to process what happened and the resident kinda shut it down. Like she was like, Oh yeah, we're fine and then I like I I'm sure I could have gone and sought out that fellow later and talked about it, but as a student that's kind of like a sketchy thing to do. So I think that doesn't cost money to, yeah. to to be like, okay, team, let's debrief for five minutes, ten minutes, even. Like, I have a
1: similar yeah. experience, yeah. yeah, where it's been like one, there's one patient. There was another patient that we all kind of debriefed about in the emergency department, but it was like a group thing. So mm-hmm. I guess the two patients out yeah. of all the patients that I've,
4: I've been involved with their care with that have passed yeah. where somebody's actually asked, are you okay? Mm. Yeah. I guess I'm yeah and to address that I'm I'm more a fan of like direct payment you know like the direct payment type of model like instead of requiring more modules let's make it easier for people to have that time and space let's like help provide vouchers so that people can seek out care or let's like use this fund to block off an hour of time Mm -hmm. where people like don't have to see patients for their RVUs or whatever so that they have that time Mm -hmm. to like debrief yeah. and seek care and improve their mental I don't know I mean maybe there's a lot of research that show like online modules I don't
3: doubt I doubt it
4: <laughs> help but like are you, are you
3: skeptical <sighs> uh, Oh, are you skeptical that online modules don't change the world I I still just remember watching this movie, M1 Year, and I remember feeling threatened. Like, you are going to commit suicide if you don't meditate. <laughs> and I I don't think that that was the intention of this module, but, or the, the movie we watched. But I just, I think some of these modules send that message of, if you meditate for one minute a day, like, you're good. Or, like, you're other, otherwise, otherwise, you're going to either get addicted to some kind of substance and kill a patient or you're going to die by suicide. And meditation is great and we should practice it, but it's not the cure-all. It's also not for like different people need different skills. Mm-hmm.
4: I think then, I vaguely remember what you're talking you know, about. The <laughs> fire. Are you, ta- are you thinking
5: of the fire? I don't know what it was one? called. That um. one didn't have. Having recently watched it, that uh, one was uh, more about like the healthcare gen- uh, yeah. in general rather than specific. Like, um, so, I mean,
0: training, it says training healthcare. I bel- I paraphrased all of this yeah. off yeah. their website, so I, can't, I don't have the exact wording. But, you know, training healthcare providers on suicide prevention. So... That's a pretty broad yeah. s- concept, there. You know, what does it mean yeah. training healthcare? Does it mean training them to be like, hey, give your folks some time to process? You but know, I don't know. See, is that's... healthcare providers individual people, i.e., go and look at an online module, or is it healthcare providers the system?
3: Yeah, that they work know. in.
0: So there's a lot that I don't quite. One,
3: know. I wanted to say one thing that I thought was really cool. A couple of programs I interviewed at had opt-out therapy for residents where you are scheduled for a therapy session twice a year Mm. and some and like you don't like they're not forcing you to go into it but it's scheduled for you automatically and then you you know you can schedule more or something after that but then it's like at least twice a year someone is asking you like are you okay and then the other thing i thought was cool is there's one residency program that hired a therapist and this therapist serves the re- like all the residents so this was a bigger program um. so there's like close to 100 residents and then every time a patient dies the therapist is informed and goes and finds the residents and holds like a team debrief session and then every time you finish an ICU month you have a session with her and so I think there are really some really cool models like that that definitely I'm sure can we expand this and get a therapist for every like ICU in this or even like you can combine ICUs mm-hmm. can share a therapist yeah and yeah,
0: yeah. Um, more strengthening existing laws that require all health plans to cover robust behavioral health services with an adequate network of providers, including three behavioral health visits each year without cost sharing. So this is more. Mm. Focused on everybody, not just yeah. health care providers. Yeah. Three. I don't know why three, but I seems as good a number as any. I think sometimes sure. I think my my gut says and, and, you know, maybe Nathan, you have more information on this. My gut says that, you know, three is not a bad number. I mean, a lot of times if your problem is situational,
4: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. then three might be good. What was the behavioral? Sorry, I kind of like blacked out you a get, little bit. You get
3: three. <laughs> you get
0: three. Again, Nathan. I know. Right? Therapy visits. Three, let's see, behavioral. Uh, three behavioral health visits each
4: year without cost. I mean, there's no like FDA-approved like <laughs> therapy <laughs> modality that's three sessions in year. You know, like for example, like CBT, like a course of CBT, which is like the most studied yeah. like psychotherapies, is like 16 sessions. Yeah, like I so I want to say it's like, it's better than nothing, but I don't know like a single modality that's okay. Three, you're good, and there's you know a ton of studies that show like lower SES people. Need, have like higher needs of therapy, you know, high needs of care, more at risk for mental health disorders, and you know, I'm trying to think along the lines of equity, like does yeah. everybody need yeah. three, or like how can we try and make balance sure balance that, that equation? A little yeah, bit. yeah. If, oh, I mean, if
0: Dave doesn't take three, but you know, you know, Grant needs six or whatever, okay. then you know, yeah, right? That's, that's an interesting way to, so to do it. I think um, it's great. Like overall, three again, three, three is, is better, better than than zero. than zero. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Can I, know, can I go ahead? Oh, go
1: ahead. I was just going to say one thought on that, though. It could lower the barrier to getting people in the door because, oh, like, yeah. it's free now. And I wasn't going to do it when I, like, thought I might have to pay for it. But it is free. Like, I could give it a try. And then, you know, that could turn into, I don't know, you More. said 16. I, yeah. I, I,
4: right. I, but then but, who, who but has yeah. the ability to continue? Yeah. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. I think it's still
0: good. It's still good. I have, yeah. I have a, a little
3: tangent here. Okay. I'm wondering, Nathan. Not allowed.
0: We don't do tangents uh, on this shit.
3: Sorry, Dave. I have a lot of issue with the term behavioral health because I think that it kind of implies that healthy behavior is the goal of mental health treatment. And I'm curious what you think of this because in my mind, I'm like, okay, sometimes like I've had like anxiety and it's I'm behaving perfectly acceptably. Like I am like, <laughs>
0: Yeah, does you
3: does know, behavioral
0: health have a particular meaning?
3: You know, and so I think that there there are times too where I think it's like, we want these people to stop inconveniencing us. Whereas what <laughs> yeah. what actually I want for people is to be whole and happy and healthy and mm-hmm. just because you're able to function doesn't necessarily mean you don't deserve mental health care. So I'm curious if there is some other rationale for this term.
4: Who mm-hmm. the like underpinnings I can't like speak yeah. to with knowledge. My understanding is like it's a more of a catch all. Oh. So, like, under behavioral health would be like AB, like for example, like ABA therapy. Yeah. So, it can yeah. include like therapies for people with intellectual disability or autism, it yeah. can include like addiction or substance use treatments, which like does involve. Mm-hmm. A behavior that can include just like normal, like psychotherapy. I think it the yeah. goal was just to try and have a catch all and to try and like destigmatize to tr- in air quotes try and like destigmatize people like seeking treatment. So instead of maybe oh. for some people, instead of saying like mental health treatment. and like the stigma so that's
3: it's like you just you just your behavior yes i guess (laughs) i just see that a lot like in the hospital that's because of our parents (laughs) know. (laughs) say things (laughs) like behave yourself no no i'm talking about it even differently in the hospital of like like situations where we're like oh this patient is just like difficult or like when they actually have like severe anxiety and it's we're saying like the problem is what the patient is doing rather than the problem is actually that the patient is unwell yeah. um, so that's i think kind mm-hmm. of part mm-hmm. of where my issue with that term comes from but i i, I think there's probably other hills can be dying on
0: isn't <laughs> yeah. it isn't it? plenty of hills for abby to die on. i've got a lot <laughs> wouldn't the
3: idea
5: be more that you're trying to teach them behaviors that help them deal with their with their unwellness i, I, think
3: I could work with that although i think some of cognitive behavioral therapy is behavioral and some of it is
4: Mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, right, a lot of it's not also like behavior focused as right. well they just uh, my understanding was it's like a lump sum umbrella oh, okay. term to okay. encapsulate all types of modalities in different spheres of I'm gonna why don't right, we just call it brain shit yeah
3: <laughs> I yeah, like go it. see your brain, a brain, shit, brain shit
4: provider. <laughs> brain shit provider.
1: Clean gonna, that shit out. I'm going to
3: be brainstorming. It's like a septic
0: cleaner or something. Better
3: terms <laughs> okay. for this. Okay. Everyone? Well, consider
0: that a starting point. Uh, I, my my I'm, contribution it's be there.
3: First on my list.
0: All right. I'm going to apply for brain shit residency <laughs> real quick. I think there, there's a bunch more on this page, but uh, one yes, last right? one that I. No, I, I think this last <laughs> one will resonate okay. with uh, my M4 friends. Stop discriminatory algorithmic decision-making that limits Uh, opportunities for young Americans. Is that really on there? It is on there. That's amazing. It is on there. What does that mean? So there is a growing conversation about algorithms in our lives. So everything from like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the things that they show us, to the systems that review resumes and CVs in order for you even to get an interview before even a human looks at them. And of course, there is the famous the among ma- among NMR- med students NMRP. algorithm yeah. that that cool. decides in some respects whether or not you match. So I don't know how far that <laughs> I don't know how far that one's gonna go. Probably not to the match. No Did like you guys
3: yeah. yeah, know that the, the match won a Nobel Prize? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. And the match algorithm. That only takes it takes 15 seconds or something like oh, that. Yeah, like we, we should,
3: should have the total, results back now. This is a total like Schrodinger's cat situation. Like my fate is sealed. I just don't have any idea what it
0: is. There's a great Glockam fucking. I love that them? one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the time the show comes out, your fate will have been decided. Yeah. We'll know whether or not we match. Yeah. Whether and or not we're soaping. Whether you know. yeah. And I <laughs> I my heart goes out to all of you. I do think that, you know, of course most of you know, most everybody is going to have an awesome outcome, but I can imagine that, you know, you'll be on pins and needles and no matter what. So good luck.
3: Yeah. Good luck, Thank guys. you. Thanks.
0: I can't
4: whistle. I can't whistle. What Somebody are you get... trying to no, whistle? Uh, trying to uh, Hunger j- Games. Oh. 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 <laughs> Somebody get <those>. <laughs> 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 I can't whistle oh, right then now. You, I,
3: what is it like? Uh...
4: <laughs> there we
0: go. <laughs> I'm, I'm
3: doing the, the little three, rue. three fingers.
0: Yeah. In the air. That's our show.
3: May the odds be ever. I have no idea what you all
0: are talking about because I never did see, despite having talked about it. But thank you for being on the show with me today, Abby, Nick, Nathan, Grant. Yeah,
1: a pleasure. Oh, it's great to be here. you welcome. Hey, Dave. Thanks
0: for being with us. Oh, <laughs> that's very sweet. Listeners, thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> what kind? Of, yes. And what kind of jerk would I be if I didn't thank you, shortcuts, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you like. What you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Our editors are Maddie Walline and Nick Lind. Are the shows made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week.